0: Um, avoiding your past, avoiding the pain of your past, actually puts you in a place where you'll have to repeat that over and over and over again. So let me repeat what I said a while ago about fear. God showed me when I was addicted to fear that I, was, I myself, through my, my fear, it would provoke me to pray, sometimes you know pray in the Holy Ghost or worship God or whatever, and I would feel rescued by God and because I was rescued by God, I felt loved by God. So that was my twisted way of getting God's love. I was already loved. And we have been trained by those who love us through not... I don't believe that the church has intentionally... Our church leaders, I'm a, I'm a leader too, so put me in the mix. I'm not like pointing finger. If I am, I'm pointing at all of us, okay? But we've trained each other to be afraid of, of things, And then we become each other's Moses. We become each other's deliverer. And that makes the Moses feel important. And it makes the one being delivered feel loved. That's a sick relationship. That's not healthy. That's a codependency that we've created out of this uh, smorgasbord or, or, or platter of fear. So what happens is we just keep living that cycle. We keep living that cycle. We keep living that cycle. Why? Because... Because... That situation makes us feel rescued and makes us feel loved, but it's temporary. It does not last. So what is lasting? Lasting, and Paul, I'm recording this. Are you okay with me saying Okay. So what's lasting is <clears throat> when Paul went into the memory of battle, of, of, of suffering in Vietnam, he went through that battle for 40 years anyway. Living it, living it, living it, living it, living it. And it tormenting him. But when he went in with purpose and said, I'm done, if it cost me my life, heck, if sorry, it cost me everything. It cost me my comrades. It cost me my sanity. It cost me my sleep. It cost me my family. It cost me my, my personality. It cost me me. So if, if, if escaping it doesn't work, then I might as well go in because nothing else worked. So I go in, but what does he find when he, when he goes in? He finds the rest of the story. What is the rest of the story? God never left him. God never forsook him. And, and he had to face every fear that he had about himself, which was true. What was true? He was everything he ever judged his enemy to be. Once he faced that fear and he saw God loved him, guess what fear couldn't do? Couldn't have him anymore. And right after I walked him through somewhere between five and seven times within a 15-minute period, I pushed him back in that memory over and over and over again. Now, at the time, I had never worked with a veteran, and I didn't understand the amygdala needing to be tested. I didn't understand it needing to be solidified, and it, that's what it needs. So the, the natural mind says, whew, we're over. We don't have to go back in there again, and God's saying, bring him back in that memory, bring him back in that memory, bring him back in that memory, and, and I'm like just doing it. And I'm realizing at the time, without my natural mind thinking, I'm just moving by what I hear, right? If I had time to think, I would have been thinking, I don't want to take him back in there. That would be my natural thought, right? But why do I bring him back? To show him and his amygdala that it can't have him anymore. It can't do to him what it did before. Why? Because that chain link protein don't look the same. It's not the same. Chemically, it's not the same. All the facts are still there. All the facts of the, of the memory, all the facts of the trauma exist. What doesn't exist? The fear of it. How did that change? Truth came in. What does truth do? Truth forces you to be free. Truth makes you free. Truth unlocks you from everything you were bound to. What was the truth? The truth was Paul had become everything he hated. He had become the enemy. He, he had to do what he did to, to survive, but then a part of him says, uh, I wish I would have died because now I've got to live with me, the real me. Am I accurate? All right, so now I didn't know that. I had never been in the battlefield. I had never experienced what he experienced. How did I know that? I knew it supernaturally. Why? I was seeking his heart, and the Bible says when you seek the heart, you know the mind of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost was giving me that revelation. I had to ask Paul, is this true? That's guess what that does for Paul the fact that I didn't suffer and I knew that he now knew I was hearing from God because it was impossible for me to know that otherwise. So that was that built his faith that showed him God's love again. So taking him back through those memories right after right after right after that solidifies his freedom in the amygdala. Jesus was tested for 40 days. Why to solidify he is the son of God that nothing could waver him out of that. Why did he need that? Because he was in a human body. Flesh needs that. Flesh needs to be fully persuaded. Full persuasion doesn't happen in your frontal lobe. Full persuasion happens in your emotions. That's where it happens. If you feel something and you see it, guess what? You believe it with every cell in your body. That's why fear is so powerful. But if fear is that powerful and it's only a shadow, it's a darkness, how much greater is light? Which one's greater, the shadow or the sunlight? Sunlight. Shadows cannot stand when the light hits it, they disappear. Why? Because a shadow is not a thing, it's an absence of a thing. What is a shadow? Something has blocked the light. And the light shines around whatever's blocked it. Guess what's been blocking the light? Your perception. Your measurement. And you're afraid of the shadow. The shadow's not a something. It's an absence of a something. So what is the absence? During that place in the battlefield, Paul couldn't feel loved. Why? Because in his mind, he now doesn't deserve it. Well, guess what? You never deserved it. Ever, ever, ever. But, but battle, the battlefield and what goes on in the battlefield solidifies I'm not deserved of God's love. I don't deserve it. See, none of us deserve it. You know what, you know what tricks us? Good works. Good works will trick you into thinking you're worthy of God's love. When your very best is as filthy rags. Veterans are the easiest ones to help heal because they don't trust in good works anymore. They've gone out the window. It doesn't matter how good he is. He's now figured out there's nothing good enough to trump what I've done. Accurate, Paul? Accurate. How'd I know that? That is not man's wisdom. That wisdom came supernaturally. I should not know that. I should not have the ability to understand that. How did I know that? I'm laying my hands on my brother. I'm asking God. God let me feel his heart. God let me see his heart. When I saw it, I couldn't believe what I saw. I was like, oh my gosh, I never heard this before. Why? Because they don't talk about it. That's why. It's not revealed. They hold it. Each other knows it. Other people that are on the battlefield with you know it. But not the one that hasn't been there. They don't know it. Look at psychotherapy. Look at psychology. What they do don't work. Why? Because they lack understanding. They completely lack understanding. So when I push you into a place, I'm not pushing you there to make you suffer because suffering is what I'm trying to do. No, I'm pushing you there because you've already suffered. You've already been through whatever hell you've been through. You're trapped in it. So the only way to get you untrapped is to take you back into it and show you that's not the whole story. That's only part of the story. That's only part of the truth. All you need to hold a lie is a part truth. That's all, the, that's, all that's needed for you to, to believe you're not loved. Well, once you see part truth, what's part truth? Part truth is there is no good thing in you. That's true. But it's only part truth. So if there's no good thing in you, what does that make you? It makes you empty. Well, that sounds like a bad thing. No, not if there's somebody chasing you down to give something to you. Like love. Guess what it means to chase someone down and love them? Charity. The word charity means the one who has, who seeks the one who has not, and gives unto the one who has not. That's the word gimel. It's the same word where we get the word camel from. Camel carries things. Camels are a representation of abundance, of, of, of taking all that is needed to the one who is in need. So part of the word, that's where we get the word give. To, to give. It's the same word as, as God's grace or God's mercy. Why? It's unmerited favor. It's unmerited Merited means you deserve it. Unmerited means you don't deserve it. So love needs a receiver. Love needs a receptor. The giver needs one who is in need. The giver needs a place that's able to receive what it has. Well, if you already have love or a form of it, because you're good, or you've now measured up, you don't know you're still in need. You're deceived. You're dis You're no longer a re eve her, but you've become dis-eaved, and you, and you think that you've, been, you've gotten something. You know what you've gotten? Deceived. You've gotten a false understanding of what love is. We love is like this for humans. You do this for me and I'll love you. You love me and I'll love you back. But if you don't love me, then you can't be around me. Do good, get good. Do good, get good. Scratch my back, I'll scratch do yours. Bad, get bad. Yeah, if you're bad, you get bad, exactly. That's what humans are. Ahead, right. Humans have a form of godliness. A form what is godliness? Love. Humans have a form of love, but we don't have love. How do we give love? You cannot give love unless you have become an empty vessel that knows it doesn't have love in and of itself and it becomes a receiver, receive her. You've now discovered your identity. What is my identity? I am not so that he is. What does Enoch mean? One who is not. You want to walk in Enoch? Understand that you are not. You want to walk like Noah? Noah nothing. nothing. Right? Know know that nothing you do can make him love you. Mm -hmm. Nothing you do can make him not love you. So what happens is, like Paul on the battlefield, walking through that, living that life, he discovered, I'm nothing. I have nothing to offer. I'm so destitute and empty, I God can't receive me. God can't love me. Why? Because man thinks if I'm good, I get loved. If I'm worthy, I get loved. And God says because you're not worthy, because you're not good, because there's no good thing in you. I I had compassion on you. I had mercy on you. And I sent my son to fill you. And my son inside of you will cry out, Abba, Father. By way of the spirit of adoption. We've been adopted into the family of God by the spirit of God. Why? Because we saw that we were empty and we had nothing. One of the things I would tell those of you in here who, who were abandoned and was adopted. If that had not happened to you, you would not understand the void. Just like if Paul had not experienced war, he would not understand that he had nothing to offer. He would not understand that he is just like the enemy. Therefore, he is the enemy. Of who? God. How? Because he took the life of his own brother. Well, you have an angel that was war. It doesn't matter once you come off the battlefield. Once that has happened, it does not matter what color their skin is, what nation they're from. What matters is that was my father's creation. That was my father's expression of himself in a human being. That was my father's child. That's what matters. And that's what eats the veteran's heart inside out because they now know they're not worthy. But that same very knowledge is the very thing that makes you a receiver and you now have your identity that there's no good thing in you and now you can receive all of God's goodness and it's not through your own works. It's through his mercy and grace. And it's the only way it comes. That's why he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. You can't see God if you think you have something to offer. You cannot see God if you think you have something to offer. You just can't do it. You have to know that there's nothing in you. Well, guess what? If you've been adopted, that means you've been abandoned. And guess what you feel? That there's nothing in me worth loving. Because if there was something in me worth loving, then you would have kept me. That's the very thing you need to be a receiver. Otherwise, you'll think you're something. You have to know you're nothing. I had a young lady one time. She said, "My angel, you don't understand. I'm, I'm worthless. I said, good news. Mm-hmm. She said, what? She said, I'm not like everybody else. I said, good news. I said, because it's not until you know your weakness that his strength is made perfect. It's not until you know that you're Nothing. That he deposit himself and he says, now that you know that you're nothing, I'll show you that you are my everything. You wasn't your mama's everything. You wasn't your daddy's everything. But guess what? You are the creator's everything. He created us as a void. How do I know that? In Genesis it says God created uh, Adam and Eve in his own likeness and image and he breathed the breath of life into Adam and Adam became a living Soul, what that means, he became a receiver, he became an empty vessel, he became a vessel of air and blood, a vessel for the Spirit of God to dwell in, that God might deposit Himself through Himself in Adam, so that then Adam could be a giver, and Adam is a giver and a receiver. How do I know? Because he's made after the father's image and the mother's image. Guess what the father is? A giver. Guess what the mother is? A receiver. Look at the human anatomy. That tells you that. The man deposits. He's a giver. The woman is a receiver. She receives the deposit. Then, as soon as she receives the deposit, guess what she becomes? A giver in waiting. She's waiting for that life to manifest. She can't create it with her hands. All she can do is she can lay down surrendered, naked, receive the seed of her husband, and then hold that seed until that seed births out of her through what? Brokenness, through travail, through labor, labor. That's a burden. We think that it's the labor of our hands, and God says, yeah, that's why I named those two bones humor us. See, we work with our hands and that's labor too. But it's not the kind of, that's the kind of labor that, (coughs) excuse me, that's the kind of labor that a man does, a work with his hands. But the kind of labor that a woman does is birthing something. So it's when you know that you're nothing and you see it correctly. Not like, oh, poor, pitiful me, I'm a victim, I'm nothing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about understanding your identity. That you, you are a vessel empty of self. Empty of your whatever you thought you needed to be so that you could be loved. Your identity is you were created to be a receiver. You were created to be a living soul. You were created to be the place that God deposits his word. Why? So the word can be made flesh. Through what? Your flesh body. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the pattern. Christ is the pattern. Follow me. He's the firstborn of what? Many sons. What is the earth groaning for? The earth is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. We think that word manifestation means you need to do the stuff to manifest. That's not what it means. It means the unveiling of what's already here. Guess what a husband a husband waits for? He waits for his wife to be unveiled by who? The father. Why? So he can marry her. The betrothed is to be unveiled. The Bible says the earth is waiting for the unveiling of. Of the manifestation of the sons of God, the unveiling of, of the sons of God. So, what, do you, what is unveiled? Your eyes, your ears, and your heart. Your ability to see. Why? Because a veil inhibits your sight. A veil makes your sight cloudy. You still got light in it. Have you, anybody ever had a veil over their face? I know when you go turkey hunting. You have a veil. I'm from Louisiana, so for those of you on my podcast, and what she talked about, I like turkey hunt. One of my best dates ever is going turkey hunting with my husband. But when the veil's over your face to keep the bugs out, it also keeps the turkey from seeing you because they have perfect sight. You don't want to, you don't even want to smile because then your teeth will <coughs> show. So when you're turkey hunting, you got to be stealth. I wear a ghillie suit. You can't see me. I'm all, you know, perfectly still, right? But you can't see very well through that. You can still see, but if the light shines just the wrong way on your, on your veil, it'll blind you almost. So you kind of have to sit in a way, in a certain way, so that you can still see the turkey if that's coming up over the hill or through the woods or whatever, but they can't see you. And it's just a little bit difficult to see through that veil. As a wedding gown, when you have your wedding veil over your face, you can see everybody, but you can't see them clearly. So that's what's happening. We've seen the Word of God. We just haven't seen it clearly. And we have been trained to be afraid. We've been trained to f- How many books are there on how to fight the devil? Like a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a, there was a time for that, and there was a season for that. And I'm not against someone. It, that brought me a lot of help in times past. Mm-hmm. But you can't be under the hopa and the battlefield at the same time. What is the Hopa? The love tent. After a man and a woman would get married in the Jewish tradition, they would go into a little hut, and everybody played music, and they danced. Why? So it could drown her out, because she would be a virgin, and she would make noise. If you have children, you might want to turn off the podcast. I should have gave you a warning a while ago, but this is the this is what happened all the kids would dance the whole family would dance and they would play music and they would drink and eat what was going on right there next to them the consummation the blood covenant was going on now if you're a woman you know that that's not a very pleasant moment you give yourself but it's not pleasant what happens afterward your body bleeds and it trembles Your body trembles. Just like when you give birth, it trembles. On the inside, all of your insides tremble and tremble and tremble and tremble and tremble and tremble and tremble. tremble tremble tremble. Why? Because the Holy of Holies has just been entered. The female body is a replica of the Holy of Holies. What happened when Jesus died? The veil was ripped from top to bottom. That word veil and the word hymen is the same word. Guess what God's removing? The veil. There's a veil over your heart, just like there's a veil in the womb. But without that veil being torn, there's no, there's no consummation. That's why it hurts when, when you go back into your sorrows and suffering, because whenever that was happening to you as a child or as a grown-up, wherever, wherever you suffered, <coughs> wherever that, take, that took place, there's a natural response to sorrow, and that is a calloused heart. Just like a man's hand gets calloused or a a gymnast's hand will get calloused when they're exposed to pain. So when you're exposed to pain, your limbic brain is not able to process it. So sometimes your, your limbic brain will just shut it out. It'll forget it. Sometimes your limbic brain will just shut down emotionally. Sometimes your limbic brain will torment you with flashbacks or whatever. But it's still a callous. And there's a doorway, there's like a bricks that we've built up that we don't want to go back in. That is a deception, but it's also there to protect you until you're ready. God will not force you into your past until you're ready. But God doesn't want you to not know him. And he wants to know you in the fellowship of your suffering. Why? Because if you suffer, you shall reign. God wants you to reign. That's the latter rain, the the former rain and the latter rain. Well, in in Hebrew, words are homonyms. I call it homonymical, right? So if you hear the word rain, you can also hear the word rain as in like a a reigning king. Or you can also hear rain as in like a horse's reign. Why? Because when you reign with him, you're led with him by the spirit. What is a horse? The word horse means Spirit. It doesn't just mean like giddy up. Right? It means spirit. Whenever, whenever this happens, this is what the Lord showed me recently. The Bible says in the last days that the Antichrist will sit on the Holy of Holies and say, I am God. Now, I in times past only saw that in Jerusalem. In, when the, on the Temple Mount. Where's the real Temple Mount? Inside of me. And he says, when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see the Antichrist sitting on the mercy seat and saying, <clears throat> I am God, look up your redemption draweth not. There's another thing that's going to happen in the last days. The Euphrates is going to run dry. But then the blood is going to fill the Euphrates up to the horse's bridle. Guess where the Euphrates is? It comes out of the Garden of Eden. That means it comes out of you. So when does the Euphrates dry up? When we, when we shut off our heart through calluses and we don't let the river flow. You know what the word Euphrates means? It means to burst forth like a woman in labor. That's what's dried up. That bursting forth inside of us. Why? Because we're scared of it. What we don't understand that's going to deliver us. It's, Moses was drawn out of the waters. There's going to be a great falling away. That great falling away has already taken place. What do we fall away from? The truth. It's happened inside the church. You could still be sitting in the, on the pew and be the one who's fallen away. We think it means those who stop going to church. No, a lot of times the one who stopped going to church is the one who's seeking God on their face mm-hmm. and being pointed at and accused of being a backslider. How do I know? I was one. For 12 years, God had me on my face. For 12 years, people say, "Angel, you just really need to be back in fellowship. And I told a lady one time, I had a, a, a model car. I was in Walmart. And I saw the woman coming in. I thought, oh, Jesus, I hope she don't see me. I was like, oh, man, it's too late. Ugh, she already saw me. So now I had to greet her, right? I didn't want to because I knew she was going to correct me for not being in church. I could quote the scripture back to her. I knew what she was going to say. So, I didn't want to talk to her. I didn't want to get my churchy hug nor my churchy little preach. It was going to tell me how I was missing God, how I wasn't hearing God. God would not tell you to do something against His Word. Well, go tell that to the, the prostitute that Jesus didn't stone. Go tell that to the corn He picked. And go tell that to the withered man's hand that He healed in the synagogue on Sabbath. Go tell that to the sea that He walked on because that was breaking the law. Go tell that to the air he ascended in because that was breaking the law. Go tell that to the fish and loaves that he multiplied because that was outside the laws. See what I'm saying? The Euphrates that is in us that is dried up is going to be filled with blood all the way up to the horse's bridle. What does that mean? That means that when your heart is ripped open, that veil, that hymen of your heart is torn. Where? In the blood covenant. What is that? The consummation of you in Christ. Oh, He says, don't circumcise your flesh, rip open your heart. So when that happens and you rip open your heart, the blood begins to flow. What blood? Your emotion. It's going to fill the Euphrates. It's going to gush forth. Sometimes we'll coach people, we'll coach them breathe, let the sound out. You can hold on if you want to, but it's it's easier if you breathe it out. It's easier if you sound it out. So I might tell them, I'll even coach them, I'll go, uh with them. Why? Because they can feel safe. So they can let that sound out. As that sound goes out, where is the where does the blood rise to? All the way to the mouth. The horse's bridle. Listen at the word bridle. Bride. Bridle. Remember homonyms? Yeah. And the rein and the bridle are connected. In the mouth of the spirit spirit and horse are the same word so when the bridal, when you begin to realize you are the bride your Euphrates is now gushing forth you're you're filled with emotion all the way up to your mouth what is is bursting out that is the blood up to the horse's bridle in the Euphrates in the last days when the Antichrist is revealed now am I saying it's not gonna happen in the natural probably will because everything that happens in the heavens happen in the natural but it's got to happen in the heavens first, Psalm 191, Heaven declares it and the firmament of the earth is going to manifest it. So we are the temple mount. We are the place, the, the mercy seats in us. So what does the antichrist look like? Anything that doesn't want to suffer. Antichrist, anti-suffering. The Bible says in, in Isaiah that Jesus was acquainted with with sorrow and suffering. He was a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. <coughs> what does that mean? Go look at the word acquainted. Look it up. It means intimate, like a man and a woman, in order to have a baby. It means intercourse. Listen at the word intercourse. To enter something. To enter, that means to go on the inside. What's coarse? It can mean rough, but it could also mean chorus. As in chord or musical chord or voices or sound in harmony. So when you go into your sorrow and suffering, your voice begins to cry out in pain, in sorrow, in brokenness. Oh God, look at me. I'm everything I've ever judged. I've become everything I've ever hated. I've become my perpetrator. You cry out. You're broken. It's up to your to your mouth. Your mouth is filled with blood. Why? Because blood is also truth and blood is life. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus came to do what Spill is blood. So when that fills up and the truth is now in your mouth and you cry that out, Oh God, what happens next? God has mercy on you. And God unveils who you really are and who his love really is. And that You're no longer running from your sorrow and suffering. You're no longer anti-Christ. You've entered into the suffering with Christ. You become one. Two voices on the inside now become one voice. How does that happen? When you suffer, when you feel your feelings, so let's just say you're feeling the feeling of abandonment and betrayal. Was Jesus abandoned and betrayed? Yes. How was he abandoned? God had to turn away when all the sin came upon Christ. It doesn't matter if that lasted for a second. To Jesus, it could feel like an eternity. Why? He had never had his father look away. One drop of separation between him and his father is what killed him. He gave up the ghost. It was so painful, his heart actually exploded and burst. So when they cut his side, he shouldn't have even been dead. He hadn't been hanging long enough to, to die of suffocation. He should have still been alive. But they went to him and it was gonna break his legs so he couldn't breathe and they didn't break his legs. Why? Because in Isaiah it said not one of his bones was broken. That also is an allegory. Why? Because bones and words are the same thing and not one of God's words will fall to the ground. Not one of God's words will be broken. Not one jot, not one tittle will be broken. Until they're all fulfilled. The heavens nor the earth can pass away until the whole world is a word of God is fulfilled. So that's what it means to have intercourse. Two voices on the inside having the same sound. We think intercourse means two two people making love and having a baby. And that's true, but that's an allegory. That is a that which is seen that can reveal the unseen. So why am I revealing this, this mystery? This is the mystery of Christ and the bride. It's the same thing that, that in Ephesians, it says that the marriage between a man and a woman is a mystery that unveils Christ and his bride. So if we don't understand this, we're going to just keep thinking that it means, oh, dance with me up at the front of the church while a music is playing. But yet when you go home, you're still depressed and you're still scared and you don't know who you are and you're still begging God for something. Yeah, we should not be beggars. We should not be begging God. We should be one with God, knowing God, intimacy with God. You know, when my marriage really flourished and Michael and I began to walk in blissful marriage is when I really knew that my husband loved me. Now, I thought I knew it when I married him or I wouldn't have married him. I wouldn't have given myself to him. But how do I know I didn't know he loved me? Because I would say things like, well, if you love me, you wouldn't treat me that way. If you love me, you wouldn't talk to me that way. <laughs> if you love me, then you would be what I want you to be. Mm-hmm. The truth is, I was so hypocritical. Mm-hmm. I was accusing him of not loving me while I was doing worse to Jesus and saying I love Jesus. Mm-hmm. And God said, You have said with your own mouth, if Michael was to commit adultery against you, that that means he don't love you. But you commit adultery every day when you become one with fear because who's the father of all lies? He said, you're an adulterous generation and you don't even know it. You're addicted to fear. That's your drug. And you get it through your lover, the devil. Why? Because he's the father of lies. And the only way you can embrace a lie is if you are with the one who is the father of it. Well, how does anything father something? It fathers it through intercourse. I just told you what intercourse means spiritually. I I'm not talking about physical intercourse. I'm talking about two hearts becoming one through an emotion, through an understanding, through feelings. So when you become one with a lie, guess what you feel? Fear. When you, become lo- when you become one with the truth, guess what you fear, feel? You feel loved. Why? Because truth is love and love is truth. But love is painful. Why? Because truth is painful. What truth is painful? If you were abandoned, that's painful. If you were betrayed, that's painful. If you've become everything you've judged, that's painful. That's truth. Righteousness, judgment, and sin. Is what the Holy Ghost came to reveal. What is righteousness? Righteousness is when you know that you are everything you've ever judged and God loves you anyway. That's righteousness. Self righteousness is when you think you accepted Christ because somebody preached to you and you made the right choice to accept Christ and now you're going to be good by being obedient. That's living under the law. Like a bird in flight will not land, neither will a curse without a cause. That's why so many Christians are living under curses. Because they're still living under the law. Now the law's not bad. God says love the law. Hide it in your heart. But the law is only good while you're a child. Why? Because a child and a slave are treated the same even though the child is master of all. Why? Because a child's not able to walk in intimacy yet. They need do this, don't do that. They need touch this. Don't touch that. They need rules and regulations. They need the law while they're a child. But when you are a child, you thought as a child, but when you became a man, you put off childish things. We have yet to put off childish things and become intimate with God. Many times we become intimate with God as a father. We become intimate with God as the Holy Spirit. We become intimate. But we don't become intimate with Jesus as the lover of our soul. We haven't become intimate with him through sorrow and suffering that we might reign. That's the marriage. How do I know? Because the veil was torn. That's a blood covenant. The the mystery of the marriage is a blood covenant when the veil is torn. When a man and woman make love to consummate their marriage, the veil is torn and it's a blood covenant. That's the mystery. That's what happens when you tear open your heart. When you let him rip open your chest like a lion. Now, after a man and woman make love, and they're, they're consummated, does the woman say, I'm glad that's over with, don't ever have to do that again. No, that's not what happens. No, <clears throat> it continues to happen. It continues to happen. And at first, it's not pleasant at all. It takes time for the human body to become acclimated to being a bride. It takes time. And then once she's It's now no longer painful, and it becomes a pleasure for the male and female. Then a child begins to come forth, right? Well, how pleasurable is that as a woman? It's not. Your body begins to change. You go through hormonal changes, about drive the husband crazy, (laughs) right? Your body don't look pretty. Mm. To some people it looks pretty, but to most people it don't look pretty. I didn't like how my body looked when I was pregnant. I loved the fact that I was carrying my child, and that made me feel, but it didn't make me feel attractive. I had a bump in places I shouldn't have a bump, and that bump kept getting bigger, and it moved weird ways, and one time it was all the way on one side of my belly, and it looked grotesque, and then it moved all the way to the other side and had all these prints and heels and impressions, and it felt weird, and I remember Rebecca used to get, um, stuck right next to where my my stomach is, and it would press my stomach up to my heart, and I threw up for days, literally three months, because I could eat a half a piece of toast and I was full. Because she she liked right next, to I guess she liked hear my heartbeat or something. She nuzzle right up to my heart. My son kicked my rib right here; I had a bruise on my rib. But he liked to prop his feet like he thought it was a coffee table or something. <laughs> so there was a lot of uncomfortability in becoming a a mother. So guess what? When you begin to birth other things for other people in the earth and you begin to intercede, it may not be comfortable and you might look weird to other people. They may not understand you. They think you're all hormonal. Well, you are. You're broken for the broken. You're birthing people into the kingdom of God. God is calling. He's coming for a bride. Jesus is different intimacy than it's intimate with the Father. It's a total different kind of intimacy. I meant it with my husband one way. I meant it with my daddy a different way. They should be different. Something would be wrong if they were the same. That would be creepy. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. Now those of you who have listened to my podcast or heard me teach, you know that I teach on the Holy Spirit as being the female part of God. How do I know that? Because God created Adam male and female created them. Female means receiver and helper. See, your body helps you understand God. Why? Because it feels. That's why God said in in, uh, Ezekiel 36, that he'll take out your heart of stone. He will put in a heart of flesh. Well, how would God promise to lead you by the very thing that he said was the most wicked thing? Because God always shows himself strong in weakness. That's what he does. That's who he is. Otherwise, we could take credit for it. But he said, I'll take out your heart of stone. I'll put in a heart of flesh. Why? Because flesh can feel. Stones can't. He puts in a heart of flesh, and he fills it with his spirit. Why? Because that's what his spirit does. His spirit is the one who feels. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Oil of gladness, oil of joy, oil of mourning. What do we call the Holy Ghost? Oil of... We call the Holy Ghost wind, and we call the Holy Ghost water, and we call the Holy Ghost fire. All of those are what we also use to express emotion. What belonged upon the fire? Blood and fat. The emotion and love is what belongs to God. It always has and always will. The priest could not eat the blood nor the fat. That means you can't interpret your own emotion. You can't eat that. You have your emotion, and you say, God, tell me what this is. And you can't, you can't comprehend love. Like God told me, he said, you said if Michael did this, you wouldn't, he wouldn't love you, but yet you do the same things to me and you say you love me. No, Angela, you know in part, you see in part, and you have a form of love, but you, haven't, you don't even know what love is yet. God showed me that the only way for me to know what his love was is I had to see myself as I am first in my complete wretchedness. And when I saw that and his love at the same time, then I would have a glimpse of love. See, love is so big, it is actually encompasses all power that ever existed or ever will be. Because love is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. God is love. We've been taught you need to, that love is an action. No, love is not an action. Love is God. God. God is love. God moving through you produces action. But if you do action so that you can prove you love, that's still a work of your hands. I'm going to do the right thing. That's still the law. That's the knowledge of right and wrong, the knowledge of good and evil. Deuteronomy 1.38 says, Only the children who did not trust in the knowledge of good and evil shall enter into the promised land. Guess what promised land means? It means land of rest, it means Canaan, and it means land of humility. You can't be humble if you think you did something. Even if you say, well, I know it really wasn't me, it was just God helped. No, no, no. If you think that you're patient, you've missed the boat. Man cannot be patient by an act of his will, period. Man can't be kind, Man can't exercise self-control. Man cannot do any fruits of the Spirit. You can't do a fruit. You bear fruit. But you don't do fruit. If you can produce kindness, you should be able to produce me a grape and an apple. Why? Because they're fruit. You should be able to produce me a baby. Guess what? You can't. You can only deposit a seed and carry a seed. But you can't make a baby. And you can't make kindness. Nor gentleness, nor meekness, nor long suffering, nor self-control. None of that you can make it. Anybody in here read the definition of love? Love is kind. Love is not puffed up. Love keeps no account of wrong done to it. Anybody in here remember somebody doing something wrong to you? See? Love doesn't do that. Everybody in here thought of something, somebody did something wrong to them. That's you're not love. I'm not love. Why? One, one scripture makes evidence that I'm not. I keep account of wrong done to me. Ask me. I can tell you stories. Angel, that's not what that means. So what are we going to do? Make it fluffy so it sounds good for us so we can feel better about ourselves? No. Love does not keep any account of wrong done to it. That means you can't do that. And all you have to do to break a law is break a little piece of it. See, against love, there, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, there is no law. It's not measurable. It don't run out. How do I know I don't love? Because mine runs out. It's a form of love. Just like my body is a form. God formed and created. He formed light and created darkness. And I have both in my body. Why? Because without both, I can't see. All light makes me blind. And no light makes me blind. But a combination of the two gives me sight. That's why I teach on brokenness. Because you can't see the love of God if you don't see your darkness. You have to see your darkness. We've been taught, now that you're saved, be good. Come up higher. Let's go deeper. Let's let's become better Christians. Let's do all that. He'll come to this class and go to this class and go to that class. And let's, let's get stronger that we might walk in God's statutes and keep his commandments. No, God said, "I'll I'll take out your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll fill it with my spirit. I think all three times God was doing something. And then he said, and ye shall walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my commandments. What does the word shall mean? It's the same as you shall grow. It, has, it does not have the word will in it. It is not, and you will. Will and, and I decide is the same thing. That word's not in the promise. It shall. And guess what? When the, when the law was given to us, it came in as a seed. And you shall have no other gods before me. Now, hear that in a new light. That seed went into the ground and died. How do I know? Because I put my husband up as a God. First my mama was God, then my daddy was God, then the people was God. My coach was a God. Being approved of was a God. Not being rejected was a God. That made my husband my God. Sometimes we make our children our God. Anyone that we get approval from and our self worth from is actually a God. Why? Because we try to fit their image of what we think that we ought to be. See, when you make an image, that's idol worship. Any kind of image that you make yourself in to be so that you can get accepted is, is still a form of idol. God is looking for a people that will know him, not try to measure up so that he will love us. That word shall, and again in the, in the Ten Commandments, and, and you shall make unto thyself no carved image. Why do you make no carved image next? It's almost like these things shall happen. You'll have no other God before us because you will have tried every other God and it won't work. And that, that commandment will fall into the ground and die. What ground? You and me. Falls into our heart and it dies and we can't, we can't do it. And then we make a carved image. What is a carved image? Your idea of what your life should look like. Expectations are carved images. I thought a carved image was like carving a a cow and bowing down to it no the work of your hands is a carved image you choosing to be kind as an act of your will or choosing to be patient because it's the right thing to do that is a carved image it's like making you ever seen a fruit basket on the table that's not real fruit made out of wax or wood or glass that's a carved image So when you you are kind out of your own fruition, that's a carved image. But when you become intimate with Christ in that holy place where the consummation takes place, where your heart is broken and you see yourself as you are and you see him loving you anyway, Mm -hmm. that produces patience. That produces kindness. It's spontaneous and it doesn't run dry. It doesn't end. How do I know? Because I've tasted both. I've tasted my wax apple. Called kindness and patience, and I've tasted when, when patience flows out of me like a river and don't end. And I know it ain't me. It's so. Pr- My daughter knew it wasn't me. My daughter said, "Mama, what's happening to you? You're being nice." <laughs> At a time when she knew I didn't normally have patience, and we both got on our knees, and I said, "Baby, this ain't mama. This is God doing something. I've never had this before." She's like, "Oh no." <laughs> she was about seven or eight years old (laughs) recently she moved home and her daddy helped her move the furniture and she she got to the house and she said mama what happened to daddy and i said what do you mean baby she said he was nice he was full of patience i was the one that got upset at my everything that could go wrong went wrong and i was i was miserable but daddy was just kind i said baby daddy's been broken and god's got a hold of him and he ain't the same person anymore she said, I know, like, that was awesome. She said, I felt like the bad guy. I said, yeah, you become everything you judge, right? She's like, yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> See, that brings humility in her. How? She became what she judged. And then she saw God loves her anyway. That's how this begins to come out of us. Spontaneous kindness, spontaneous love, spontaneous patience, spontaneous manifestation of God why because when you abide in the vine fruit comes out that's how it happens so that's what we do we we become intimate with God through our brokenness in our past or you can have brokenness new brokenness tomorrow if if your past ain't enough how about your past is enough so why would I go into my past you say you shouldn't go in people's past that's just you know you just you petting old demons you know, you're resurrecting bones. Well, guess what? I'm going to tell those dry bones to live. Amen. I'm going to prophesy to them. And I'm going to say, get up. Yes, yes. Receive your, your, your breath and sinew and muscle and strength and live, dead bones. Why? Because the word of God is supposed to come in us and die. So it could bring forth fruit. God is the resurrection. Christ is the resurrected word in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So whenever, why would I go back into a memory? To sin is to miss the mark, to miss the calculation, to miss the monument, the sign, the flag, the wonder. Did you ever wonder why you were given up? Is that a wonder? Yeah, you wondered that, didn't you? Did you ever wonder why you did what you did on the battlefield? You wondered. You ever wonder why, whatever? Don't miss the wonder. To miss that wonder is sin. That In that word sin is also monument. So a monument is a memory held inside your brain. Like a stone set on the side of the Jordan. Remember they passed through the Jordan He said take 12 stones from the Jordan and put them up here. So that when your children ask in the future what are these 12 stones you can tell them least they forget where they came from. So in your brain you have monuments. They're memories. And God says don't miss them. So we go back into the memories and we get the full calculation. We get the full truth. How? By way of the Holy Ghost telling us. When you see that truth in the monument, you haven't sinned. You didn't miss the mark. And God's patient. He'll give you as long as you need to not miss that mark. When you miss the mark, you enter into all manner of lasciviousness. How do I know that? Ephesians chapter 4 says... When you go past your feelings, you give yourself over to all manner of lasciviousness. Jesus in Hebrews, after the order of Melchizedek, suffered in every sorrow and piercing, but did not sin, did not miss the mark of what? The sorrow, suffering, and piercing. You see how that makes sense now? Like Those just sound like fluffy scriptures before. They're Christianese. But when you begin to put them into practice and you can apply them and you say, how, how do I do that? Maya, that's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you how now. How do I not miss the mark? I go into the monument. I go into it and I say, Holy Ghost, you said if I would seek the kingdom, all these things will be added and all really does mean all. Where's the kingdom? The kingdom's in those monuments. The kingdom's in the flag. The kingdom in the wondering. In that word, don't miss the mark, also means don't miss your miracle. Don't miss the sign. Don't miss the mark, the sign, the wonder, the flag, the calculation, the miracle. And there's one more. There's seven of them, actually. I can't remember one of them right now. Don't miss them. Well, if you miss those, you miss your miracle. Why? Because they come as a package deal. They're all in there. They're all in that same word but we don't know that. We think sinning means saying a cuss word or smoking a cigarette or getting drunk or having sex out of marriage. Or, and all that is the manifestation of missing the mark. That's the, full, that's the birthing. How intimacy with God produces patience, that's the fruit. Well, the fruit of missing the mark is all these other things, the lasciviousness. That's the fruit. The fruit is drunkenness, revelry, malice, and the like. That's the evidence of missing, that you missed the mark. Do you know that even psychiatrists and psychologists know that? They know that the reason people are addicted is because of their emotions. But we don't know that. We say, oh, you can't trust them things. I say, well, you can't trust broken legs either, but I ain't cutting mine off if I break it. I'm going to have it healed. Jesus is the king of the brokenhearted. The kingdom of God is in your heart. The power is in the blood. What is the blood? The emotion. I know that there are people out there thinking, I I mean, what I've been taught, my question is, who taught you that? I can tell you my father didn't teach you. Why, because everything in the earth declares what I'm telling you to be true. Scientifically, through the ligands and the frequency in your brain, through the cell receptors, through your endocrinology, through your heart, through your kidneys, through your pancreas. And I've said this over and over and over again, Test this word and see if I'm not telling you the truth. If the, if the earth don't testify of this word, don't believe me. But the earth will testify and has done it over and over and over in the form of earthquakes, signs in the heavens, news, physical healings, physical manifestations, signs and wonders that are unexplainable. Temperature dropping from seventy-something degrees to sixteen degrees in less than twenty-four hours. Earthquakes happening. I had an earthquake. I say I had an earthquake. What my earthquake? I wouldn't choose to have an earthquake. But God says the earth's going to quake, and it just happens. But I was uh, teaching, and I'm saying this for the podcast because I know you guys have heard this. But I was teaching in um, Watson, Louisiana, and I was teaching. Uh, the The retreat started on one twenty-two. The highway that she lived on was Highway ten twenty-two. I was teaching on the number two and the twin, the word twin, and the twin is the positive and the negative, and then the neutral is what brings those two together. I was teaching on that. I was teaching on the ilium, the hip bones, the SI joint. <clears throat> two people in the room got healed in the SI joint. One lady, both SI joints were in pain, so the the twin was in pain. The other lady, one SI joint was in pain. Both of those women healed. And I taught um, on... All the aspects of the number 22. Three people in the room were got a message to look up Isaiah 22, 22 And so we did. We even watched a clip on it. Um, a lady brought some music of whole tones that had two minutes, I mean two hours and 22 minutes. And 22 just was all over the place, the number two. <clears throat> so I told him, I said, let's look up and see what the earth declared. It has to declare what I'm telling you is true or I'm a liar. The lady at the table who, who picked up her phone happened to have twin sons. One of her sons lived in Ilium, Alaska. And I was teaching on the Ilium. There was an earthquake in the town where her son lived, her twin son lived, in Ilium, Alaska. And it wasn't just an earthquake, it was a twin earthquake. And it was 6.8 and 7.2. That's a pretty, both of them pretty big earthquakes. And they happened Right at right before I said, let's look up and see what the earth declared to see if I've told you the truth. We had signs and what we had. we had matter manifest that weekend. We had supernatural smoke come off of somebody's head. And we had supernatural light show up. Was anybody trying to make it happen? No. Did I heal anybody? No. The word of God heals. People don't heal. The word of God coming out of our mouth. Moses, when he spoke and the Red Sea parted, why did it part? Because he cried out to God and God said, Criest thou unto me, Moses? Speak. In other words, say what I've already told you. So when we say what God told us, the earth has to manifest. And look what Moses parted. The red sea. Like as in eyeballs. When God parts your sea and you can, your perception changes, you can walk over in, out of Egypt, out of slavery, onto dry land, and now you're going to wander in the wilderness a little while. Why? Because you've got to get rid of your slavery mentality. What is slavery mentality? What did they get when they had the slave mentality? Ten commandments. And what did they build? Something that meant the work of their hands. The word calf means work of your hands. They wanted Moses to lead them. They didn't want to be intimate with God. And God said, okay, go ahead and stomp your feet for three measures of time. What day are we in? We're in the third day. We're in the third measure of time. When did Daniel get his answer? On the 21st day. Who did he overcome? The prince of Persia. Persia means perception. That is now Grisha. Grisha means logic. Who who helped him overcome? Michael. That means war. Guess what war means? Duality. Duality is the number two. Isn't this amazing? We're in the 21st century. We're in the fullness of two and the fullness of one at the same time. And we're going to see that happen. We're going to see that manifest. Every day of your life, if you ask God to show you the signs of the time, you will see it on your clock. You'll see it in the news. You'll see it in the, the food. You can see it in everything. You can see it in the name of the place that, you, that you're at. We're in West Dover, Vermont. West means evening. Evening. Dover meant uh, river, and Vermont meant to flourish. So we're in the flourishing of the evening river. And what am I teaching you on? The eve. No longer be dis Why? Because e- the evening river needs to flourish. Where's the evening river? The, the river that comes in the, and the last in the evening, at the end, at the fullness. What river? That Euphrates I was talking about. Where is it? Inside of you. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. If it's living water, where's the life? In the, what's the life in? Life is in the blood. blood. And it's a living river. It's a blood river. Out of you. It's the Euphrates coming up to the horse's bridle. That's where we are. How can you see the abomination of desolation? When you say the word, I am scared, you're actually agreeing that that which is inside of you is fear, and fear is not God. So you're declaring the abomination of desolation inside of you. I am afraid. You're letting I am be something that's not an I am. When you see that, and you get sick of it, And you say, I don't care if he puts me in the lion's den, I'm going. I don't care if he puts me in the the fire, I'm going. I don't care if he hangs me in a poo-poo pit like he did Jeremiah, I'm going. I don't care if everybody rejects me, I'm going. I don't care if nobody likes me, I'm going. I don't care what anybody's opinion is of me, I am going. I'll go into my memory, why? It didn't kill me back then, and it ain't going to kill me now. What it's going to do is it's going to wake me up. And I'm going to see things I never saw. Why? Because even the darkness has become light unto me. Even the darkness. And like, you tell me I need to embrace darkness? Well, if you want to rest in the evening, you better. But darkness ain't what you think it is. If you think it's the devil, if you think it's witchcraft, if you think it's all those things, you don't understand it. Because in Isaiah 45, 7, it says that I, the Lord God, do all these things. I form light I feed you darkness is what the word create, create means. I feed it to you. Why would God feed me darkness? So I can see. Because too much light would blind me. And once I understand what darkness is and I understand the evening, I can enter into the rest of the evening. The rest of God. The male and the female. I enter into both. Why? Because if I don't know I'm a receiver... I have no place to receive the seed of God. I have to know my identity. And I can't know my identity until I know I'm loved. How do I know I'm loved when I see that I'm everything I've I've already judged and and God loves me in spite of that? That so sets you free. Perfect love begins to permeate your very being. It becomes the essence of who you are and fear has no place anymore. Whether somebody likes you, approves of you, accepts you, <clears throat> it doesn't matter. You know your Father does, you know the Holy Ghost does, and you know Jesus does. That's in whom you've trusted. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, right now, not in the future, someday, in the by and by when you get there. No, now faith is. Now is the substance. What is the substance? Being fully persuaded. How do you get fully persuaded? Believe it or not, by seeing it and feeling it. How do you do that? You go in the kingdom of God that's inside you. And you can go into the kingdom of God inside other people and bring them out. Why? Because God gave you the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Why don't we take a break here?